Welcome. Thank you all so much for being here this morning on a beautiful day. And we are looking forward to getting started. You have made it to the right spot. If you are looking for CCL's signature climate advocate training, we're going to jump right in. And in the chat, we've also already put a link where you can follow along with us for today's slides, as well as a prompt to ask you where you are calling in from and what brought you here. What are you hoping to really take out of today's time together? My name is Brett. I'll be one of your hosts today, and I am looking forward to hearing your reflections on how you have felt energized throughout this conference weekend so far as well. And before the meeting officially begins, we just want to welcome folks and ask you, obviously, to tell us a little bit more about yourself in the chat, how you heard about CCL, if you've connected with your local chapter, and then to thank you for joining us before we get started, because we want to acknowledge that you're taking time away from your family, your friends, your hobbies, whatever it might be to listen and engage in this lesson and work on something that is obviously so much larger than any of us on our own. And for that, we're incredibly grateful. We also wanted to make sure to give a quick shout out to all of our attendees calling in from throughout the larger world, doing critical work, building political will for a carbon fee and dividend style solution. Today's focus is going to be on the US model of organizing, uh, but know that we'll also apply a lot of your efforts to wherever you might be calling in from throughout the US as well. So quick housekeeping, and uh, we'll do a quick overview of our agenda, and then we'll get started here. So this is a two and a half hour workshop. The agenda is as follows. We're going to start with a little review of our organization and structure, as well as our values. We're going to talk through our methodology, how we work to build political will for a livable world using our model of the five levers of political will. We're going to discuss a lot of our legislative priorities, as well as give you some basics behind motivational interviewing and putting that into practice with your own storytelling with several different breakouts. So we do invite anyone that's comfortable since we'll be doing some get to know you breakout activities to have your video on. We can see your shining, smiling faces and uh, Salemi and I don't feel so disconnected from anyone else. Uh, feel free to turn on your videos throughout today and get connected with each other. And then that last 45 minutes, I would say, oh, great, good to see you all, um, is basically going to be a lobby meeting that you have never experienced before. We're gonna have some mock members of Congress show up and they are going to be paired with you in your small groups and for 40, 45 minutes, you'll have the chance to really put all together what we've talked about and simulate what it's actually like to be in a lobby meeting. So that is a full agenda. And we are so lucky to have not only myself, I'm CCL's Education and Engagement Senior Director, but more primarily, my dear friend Salemi with us as co-presenter. So I'm going to pass it to you, Salemi, to share a little bit about yourself, and then we will jump right in. Thank you, everyone. My name is Salemi Hernandez, and I'm the Southeast Regional Coordinator, uh, supporting volunteers organizing to build political will in Florida, where I live in Naples, Florida, the traditional land of the Calusa tribe, uh, Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. I learned about CCL in 2017 and immediately signed up as a volunteer inspired by the mission to work in, in building the political will for climate solutions in a bipartisan way. Um, I'm being a community grassroots activist for many years in Florida, and I'm the mother of two wonderful boys that are my motivation to do this work daily. 
Excellent, Salemi. That is so powerful. And we all know that each of you have your own stories. So with that, let's jump right in. We like to get started with really kind of grounding ourselves in, you know, we talk about the CCL way of doing things, but what are our values? As an organization that's growing so quickly, it's really key that all of our hundreds of thousands of supporters are on the same page. And so you can think of really these seven core values as something that we use to guide our decisions, how we respond to others, you know, kind of like a home base that we can return to. CCL recognizes seven of them that are essential to our identity, and they are relationships, diversity, being nonpartisan, personal power, my personal favorite, optimism, focus, and integrity. So what we're going to do actually is explore each of these through a video that my intern this semester put together that really helps define what each of these looks like. So I'm actually going to pass it to the wonderful Isa to take it from here. And for about two minutes, we're just going to explore what each of these seven core values is. Focus. We are focused on solving climate change. We move Congress to pass big solutions that will drive emissions down in order to ensure a healthy climate. And we work on complementary solutions that help us work together in our communities and foster a more collaborative environment in Congress. Optimism. In the face of challenges, we choose optimism, that people are good, that democracy can work, that climate change is a problem that we can solve, and that we are greater than our flaws. Optimism turns our concern about climate change into action, and it's catching on. More and more people join us every day. Relationships. We take the most generous approach to other people as possible. Appreciation, gratitude, and respect. We listen. We work to find common values, and we endeavor to understand our own biases. We know that there is a place for protest, but our approach is to build consensus. Integrity. Our approach is thoughtful and thorough. We are prepared, we consult experts, use data, and solicit feedback before forming opinions or making decisions. We follow up when we are asked. We keep going even when it is hard. People know that they can count on us to be consistent and to do what we say we will do. Personal power. We use our voices to be heard in our democracy. This simple act transforms us from spectators to engaged citizens. We are volunteer driven, trusting volunteers to make important decisions. Each of us is essential to solving <coughs> Diversity. We empower everyone in exercising their personal and political power, regardless of race, ethnicity, nationality, gender, sexual orientation, age, religion, ability, or political affiliation. We continue to bring awareness of important issues to all our volunteers and foster a sense of belonging to our organization. Nonpartisan. Our group is open to anyone who is serious about solving climate change. No matter where you live, what you wear, or who you voted for in the last election, you are welcome. We work with elected officials and community leaders from across the political spectrum because we believe that everyone is a potential ally. All right, so Citizens Climate Lobby is a volunteer-driven organization organized locally by chapter. The term chapter or group are used interchangeably, but they mean the same thing. A group or a chapter is a local team that is creating political will and clear evidence that citizens support 
action on climate change within a congressional district or within a state. Citizens Climate Lobby has hundreds of groups across North America, from cities like New York, Los Angeles, and Toronto to Pocatello, Idaho, and Houstonburg, Mississippi. We also have chapters across Europe, Australia, Africa, Asia, and Central America. Each chapter has a group leader or couple of co-leaders who help organize and coordinate the local activities of the group. Groups may, meet, may be in different stages of development. One group may have one person who is just getting the group started, and the other more and there are more other established groups that have dozens of members. So if you're new to CCL and you haven't connected with your local chapter, then you want to do that as soon as possible. And I have a question and you can use the chat for this. Have you connected with your local chapter yet? In the U.S., and you can put it on the chat if you connect it with your local chapter. Um, in the U.S., each group belongs in one of the 11 different regions featured here on this map. Each region have a regional coordinator like myself who support group leaders as state coordinators in each of these geographical areas. To find your local chapter or your group leader, go to the main website and look for chapters under the About tab. And we encourage every volunteer to seek out their group leader contact information and call them or email them to introduce yourself and see how you can get involved. You should be able to find this information from the email from our membership coordinator. If you reach out to your, to your local group leader and you don't hear back, contact us. Remember that emails sometimes go to spam. Our group leaders are volunteer. And we can help make that connection and introduction. If there's not an organized group in your area, contact us anyways, and we'll get you in touch with the closest people to you. So again, have you contact your group leader and your chapter? So now that we have discussed our groups, group leaders, and structure, I will discuss the liaison role. Another role that we should mention is that of the congressional liaison. A CCL liaison is someone who is the representative for CCL when the group contacts a congressional staffer. Since there are 535 members of Congress, CCL goal is to have a personal liaison for each of those offices and their staff. The liaison build ongoing relationship with members of Congress and their staff by maintaining personal contact and by coordinating the group's meetings and communication with that office. This can be anything from sending a card when your member experiences a significant event, updating the office with timely resources related to climate change, or even inviting the staff or the member of Congress to a local barbecue. We are working on a complex issue, climate change. So having one consistent point of contact with the office of each member of Congress make our process of communicating about climate change and our solution much more effective. Here is an important point of clarification. Even though we have liaison, each CCL volunteer is encouraged to personally write and call the members of Congress and do so frequently. Here is one last important point on our relationship with members of Congress offices 
and the confidentiality we expect from our volunteers. It's essential that we don't repeat outside or share via emails or notes what we hear in our meetings. We leave it to the member of Congress, even if they're vocally enthusiastic to make their own public statement about climate. The bottom line is that whether it is a seemingly casual question about policy details or any other private comments, it is critical to train ourselves to respect what is said in confidence. When we consistently demonstrate we can be trusted in this way, it opens the door for deeper conversations that can move the member of Congress forward. All right, thank you so much, Salemi. So at this point, let's kind of transition and set up our first activity today. Um, the first thing that we'll kind of do to ground us here is just really review this concept of building relationships of trust. And to do that with CCL, we kind of use this concept that a lot of us are familiar of finding common ground because finding common ground is obviously key to the, the it's key to any long-term relationship, whether it's with our community members, our community leaders or members of Congress, and that's what we're all about. So let's start with relationships we develop with members of Congress. Building a long-term relationship with a member of Congress and their staff, that's critical for our success. And the good news is that we're convinced that we can find at least some common ground with anyone that we might be meeting. So when we look for common ground, we start with three places that you can see here on the slide. Shared values, we look for social connections, and we look at places that we care about. Regarding shared values, it can start on the most simple of levels. If you have children, consider the most members of Congress have kids too, or their staffers do, and are concerned for their future as well. So during those meeting introductions, mentioning your kids, your grandkids, your concern for that future generation is a really effective way to weave in that common understanding. Other examples can include anything from viewpoints like energy independence, freedom of choice, religious beliefs, Whatever it might be, the key thing is that as you find an area where you overlap in those values, make sure to identify that you're looking out at a shared problem together rather than feeling at loggerheads and opposition to each other. As one more expansive example really of what we mean by this, after years of building a relationship with their Texas GOP member, here's what our group found that that member told them about the common ground they had discovered. He agreed that they should work on efforts to reduce emissions hand-in-hand hand with economic well-being, along with his confidence that the U.S. will continue to lead in emission reductions through seeking cleaner air by American technology and innovation without sacrificing affordable energy or middle-class jobs. Great framework from which to operate. How can we move forward then, given that on the importance of climate? Number two, social connections. We also take the time in advance to learn about the people we meet with seriously. So for members of Congress, you can find out about former jobs, schools, boards they've served on, interests they have, pet hobbies, you name it. You can do the same thing with AIDS. And especially now in the LinkedIn era, it's so easy to collect that information and be able to highlight what you might be curious about. We have a wonderful starter for anyone if you're interested on CCL Community. That's basically a member of Congress biography that we have created for each member that's really crawled by the web and pulled from a lot of different sources. I've just put a link to it in the chat. If you wanted to kind of noodle around and explore on your own time, your member of Congress while we're talking about it. And again, you can also do this during the meetings, right? You don't just have to do this ahead of time. It's not just being polite. You can ask them to tell them about or tell you about themselves during the meeting because those are things we actually really want to know, especially if there's like a hometown 
or a college connection with somebody that we know back home in our district, lesser bills have been passed through those one or two degrees of separation. One of the stories we always love telling from our friends at the Congressional Management Foundation is that one of the key appropriation bills in the 90s had a significant investment in, <laughs> in hair drying um, interest in investment for vocational school due to somebody that brought their hairdresser to their member of Congress that then introduced that to the policy. So building that out, that's how policies are made. Make those connections happen in your own networks. And also, common ground can literally be just that, a patch of ground on this earth, a place that we love or that we know that the member of Congress or Stafford cherishes. We found that no matter who we talk to, people love their home community and this larger world passionately. So Salemi is actually going to set us up in just a moment with this exercise to get us thinking about how we can use our own stories as a basis for building that common ground. But if you do walk away with one thing today to really demonstrate how all three of these approaches can help build common ground, here's a quote from one of our liaisons about the relationship they developed with their member of Congress. Our Congresswoman has more than once closed our meetings by reminding us that we inspire her, that we are the true patriots, that every day she manifests a fundamental trust in America's democracy, and she lets us know that Citizens Climate Lobby helps her feel that way. That's the value of appreciation, right? We don't just use it as a kickoff device. We use it with this one rule to treat everyone, even those we might disagree with, with that respect, appreciation, or gratitude because it helps us frame the whole way we interact differently. Some people, believe it or not, may have a predisposed view of us as climate advocates, just like we may of them. So it helps get that chip off of our shoulder about who we think that they are, remove our own biases and see them as somebody that we want to work with rather than as just an obstacle. We meet them where they are to help move forward together rather than where we want them to be. And with that, I'll pass it to you, Salemi, to set us up for this activity. Thank you, Brett. As Citizens Climate Lobby, we focus on what we want. We want to solve the climate crisis. We want a livable planet. In this exercise, we get down in the ground exploring what you want to preserve. To set all of this up is one of my favorite quotes here from E.B.Y., author of the Charlotte Wet and Elements of Style, gave in an interview with the New York Times in 1969. Every morning, I wake up turn between a desire to save the world and an inclination to save it. This makes it hard to plan the day. We in CCL might add, but if we forget to savor the work, what possible reason do we have for saving it? In a way, the savoring must come first. Let me repeat the last part. If we forget to savor the work, what possible reason do we have for saving it? Even though there may be different opinions with who we talk to about what's causing the climate to change or just how much humans are responsible for, we can all agree that there is something special on this earth that we want to be around for future generations. Having something we savor on this earth is the common ground we all share. Here's to that, Salemi. So let's actually set this activity up by making it personal. And in this exercise, that we're gonna do in breakouts in just about two or three minutes, we'll ask you to identify a specific place that you love that is threatened by climate change or is threatened negative, or maybe it already is, um, impacted by climate change. And for this activity, we're not talking about a generic type of place like the beach. 
Or do we want you to think about an impact that has been caused by some other environmental factor like overdevelopment or toxic pollution? We're really trying to key into how climate change is and already will impact the places we care for. And if it's in your hometown or congressional district, all the better to help establish that common ground. Now, you might be wondering, why are we doing this? The reason that we're asking you to think about it is that social science research is unequivocal in showing that people connect much more strongly with their own backyard than concerns for their community or, and concerns for their community than further off feeling impacts in time or space. So we want to bring this home and think about what your place looks like or sounds like. You know, you can even use descriptive imagery like Salemi's going to model with an example in just a bit to help us really understand what you savor about it. If you could tie in the impact on the local economy that your community faces as well, from you know, reduced workforce or agricultural productivity, uh, extreme heat or drought, wildfires or the inland flooding from hurricanes, there's obviously so many different angles and the way that you can make your story personal and connected to those common ground concerns is really what we're keying in on. It's a way that we can begin developing our story that we can share with others at a, a moment's notice, right? At the grocery store, at the next conversation you might have at your place of worship or at the family gathering. And they're powerful ways for people to connect. And the more prepared we are to share them, the more likely we are to find that common ground. We know that stories are a way for us to humanize climate change, to not have it feel abstract like some chart or bar graph, help bring it home and deepen the concern for others around us and their own caretaking for this impact and places for future generations. So you keep thinking about what that is for you and know that in about two minutes, we'll get started with that activity in small group breakouts of three. But for now, I'm going to pass it to Salemi to share an example of what this might look like. And again, your story doesn't have to be this polished for her own experience with Hurricane Ian. So let's consider what we love about life, maybe family traditions or a special spot in nature, perhaps music, art, poetry, a certain way of life. Let's consider what we love about life on earth to describe it in great detail. But first, let me share something very specific about a place I love and how it's been impacted by climate change. I live in Naples, Florida, and I love the natural spaces, the biodiversity, the smell of seawater mixing with fresh water in the estuaries, and all of the beautiful towns in Southwest Florida, like Matlache in Pine Island in this picture, where I have my most special memories. On September 28, Hurricane Ian devastated all of this community. Ian rapid intensification was a direct result of, ch of a changing climate conditions that caused the heating of the Gulf water. The warm waters provided the fuel for Ian, destructive force, and we have to consider that this would happen again. Many people died, and many of my friends lost it all. Months after, many people are climate refugees in their own communities. Ian is, is one of the most, is the most costly hurricane to make landfall in Florida. The storm economic toll of losses is estimated to be between 53 billion to 74 billion. Many of our beaches are not swimmable yet because they're the storm. And all of these impact Florida tourism economy that is expected to recover by 2024 in places like Sanibel Island and Fort Myers Beach and people's livelihood. 
What an important description, Salemi. Thank you so much for sharing. And obviously each of us have a story to tell that can build these connections. So following Salemi's model, what we're actually gonna do is start thinking about the places that we love about life and describe it in great detail. You have that prompt. And what we're gonna do is connect to our five senses as we discuss and really think about how we can make this work with the partners that we're gonna have in groups of two or three. So with that though, we're gonna jump right in. You should be able to kind of see a breakout prompt in just a moment and start thinking about what that is. We'll say the person with the shortest hair goes first. You'll see a little timer in the upper right corner that sets you up for, let's just say even six minutes since we have some groups of three. Um, I'm gonna make sure that all lines can unmute. And if you have any issues, just raise your hand and Salemi, Zane, or I will jump right in. We'll be able to help you out. So we'll see you back here in six minutes. And thank you all so much for practicing and beginning to share your stories. It's really, you know, just a simple thing. It might seem like a, an odd thing for us even to be focusing on so much. But again, the more prepared we are to share that, the more we can humanize climate change and break that spiral of silence where we're not talking about it because we don't hear anybody talking about it because nobody's talking about it. So let's talk about it and share those experiences in the chat to make that happen. And what we're gonna do next here is, you know, we went micro with that story, right? Up close with our own personal experiences. What we should do is take even a step back, you know, far back, like an astronaut sees things. And the reason why nearly 20 years ago now, the founder of CCL, a wonderful gentleman by the name of Marshall Saunders heard an inspiring story about an astronaut named Rusty Schweikart. And he was so inspired by this story that 13 years ago, when Marshall started his very first climate advocate training, which we are continuing on obviously to this day, he included this story in that workshop. So let's be stitched together with every other climate advocate training that we've run and hear the story of Rusty Schweikart as told by CCL's first executive director, Mark Reynolds. I'll let him take it from here. During the Apollo mission in 1969, astronaut Rusty Swikert was let out of the capsule on an umbilical cord. Usually NASA keeps the astronauts compulsively busy up there, but a peculiar thing happened to Swikert. Just as he emerged from the capsule, something went wrong within the capsule. Both Mission Control in Houston and the remaining astronauts had to concentrate on the problem. This left Rusty all alone, floating around Mother Earth in complete cosmic silence. <laughs> During this time, Rusty had two profound conversion experiences. He looked back on Mother Earth, a shining gem against a totally black backdrop, and realized everything he cherished was on that gem. His family and land, music and human history with its folly and its grandeur. He was so overcome that he wanted to hug and kiss that gem like a mother does her firstborn child. Compassion flowed through him. Trained as a jet fighter pilot, he was a typical macho man but a breakthrough of something bigger came washing over him at that moment in space. Schweikert's second waking in space was a political one. He was a red, white, and blue American who believed what he'd always been taught, that the world was divided between the communist world and the free world. Yet, while floating around Mother Earth, he saw that rivers flowed indiscriminately between Russia and Europe. That ocean currents served communists, socialists, and capital nations alike. The clouds did not stop at borders to test for political ideology and that there are no nations. Nations exist in the mind of the human race alone. On returning to NASA, Spikert was not debriefed by any spiritual director about his mystical experiences. 
He confesses to having wandered around in a state of stupor for six months, bumping into walls while asking himself repeatedly this one question, why did God do this to me? <laughs> Finally, he concluded that God did this through him so that others might hear the message. What message? Compassion, interdependence, shared beauty on the shining, glistening planet. The holy earth, we must take such care of it. It must take such care of us. This side of heaven, where each of us so nearly all the other has. There is darkness all around us, yet between us, there is just enough light to get by. Thank you all so much for listening. And you also would know that this quote that we've probably heard from our experience with Rusty Schweikart, we aren't passengers on Spaceship Earth, we're the crew. We aren't residents on this planet, we're citizens. The difference in both cases is responsibility. So, so Lemmy, how does this all tie together with what we're trying to accomplish with our mission and what CCL is working to accomplish together? And thank you all so much for the affirmations in the chat. That really moved me the very first time I've heard this story too, on how we really can build that common ground and zoom out and realize that this is something we can work together on. So many people are familiar with our vision to create political will for a liberal world. We know that politicians don't create political will, they respond to it. And that is our job as a constituents to create so much political will that politicians have no other choice than do what we ask them to do. Citizens Climate Lobby teach constituents how to empower themselves, how to develop relationship with the representative so that we can help Congress see that there's political will for powerful climate solutions. We endeavor to show people that your voice will make a difference. So how do we go about engaging with others in our community? First, you're not alone in your concerns. We recognize that Americans feel like no one is taking action on climate change. Others don't care about climate change as much as you do. And it's hard to start conversation. There's a perception gap here, how we feel internally about climate change and how we perceive those around us externally feel. If we don't see others talking about this issue or taking action, we assume that others, other people don't care. That sounds great. Well, obviously, if we aren't hearing other people talk about it, we can just assume that obviously this is something that only applies to us. And one of the groups that you probably heard a little bit about yesterday, if you were a part of the discussion that we had with um, the Taking Action breakout, was that we have used a resource for a lot of years called the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication. And Yale's been at this a long time. Their prior research confirms that Americans actually are six distinct groups as when it comes to global warming beliefs. And that's really based on not only our beliefs, but our attitudes and what we support policy-wise or even our behaviors around climate change. The alarmed are the most engaged. They're very worried about climate change and strongly support action. That's probably where the category is that many of you fall into today. The concerned, they're you know thinking global warming is a significant threat, but prioritize it less, less likely to be taking action. The cautious are aware of climate change, but are uncertain about its causes or are not very worried about it. The disengaged are largely unaware of global warming, while the doubtful doubt that it's happening or human caused or perceive it as a low risk. And then finally, the dismissive firmly reject that reality of human caused global warming and opposite 
um, most climate change oppose most climate change policies. So obviously, why is that important to today's topic? Well, it shows just how much concern there is out there, right? Looking at this chart, look at the overwhelming majority of where Americans are at. They believe that climate change is immediate and should be taken action on. And if you're curious about where you might fall in to those six Americas, in the chat, I just put a link where you can take a quick six question survey. It's called SASE. Uh, it actually, I think, stands for Six Americas Super Short Survey. And um, you are more than welcome to use this in your own outreach to see kind of the majority of our friends, neighbors, and larger Americans are predisposed to care about what we have to say. So knowing this should help frame how we enter conversations more confidently. The person is more likely than not to be a potential ally. Looking at the Yale data, 70% are on the side of climate action, right? So if you start by telling them all your reasons why you should care about climate change rather than listening first or jumping into how we can do something about it, you probably lost common ground because they're already with you. So why do you feel like you, so I guess this question comes up, at least for me, how do you rather find out which type you're talking to? Well, there's been a significant change in the distribution, even over the last couple of years, you can see kind of this chart helpfully walks through over time where Americans as surveyed stood within each of these divisions. You can see again, the concerned, the cautious and the alarmed are all kind of jockeying back and forth. And right here, that's where the alarm jump out to the very top. More and more Americans now are worried and engaged on the issue and supportive of climate change. We know that a majority of Americans are worried and say that they want to do something, but here's the dilemma. We also know that a majority of Americans rarely or never discuss the topic. So how do we deal with this quandary, this kind of double standard of being concerned but not knowing how to even engage on it? I'll pass it to you, Salemi. So here's the good news. We are a climate action community bringing Americans together around climate solutions. We are excited, optimistic, and that is contagious. In a recent study, Americans were asked, what would, what would drive people in your community to get more active around climate change? Respondents don't feel that they or their communities are properly equipped as climate change has become more urgent and observable education around the issue and a specific policy needs to ramp up. Education is, is an important piece of the puzzle for respondents in terms of both their education and that and the others in the community. Some want to see elected officials close to the education, closing the education gap when describing climate intervention with a particular focus on the benefits and potential consequences of various policies. And with that, I pass it back to you, Brad, too. Yeah, thank you, Salemi. So obviously, I know with this survey, we're kind of highlighting that community leaders think their communities need the most help, just really with the basics and starting conversations. One respondent said, climate change is a conversation that's been hidden inside so many communities for so long. I find if anything, most people understand it, but literally can't wrap their arms around how to start having a conversation with a community. I personally think if we start having conversation with our immediate families about the importance of taking action now, that would be a great first step for so many. 
So let's, when we have situations like this, turn to one of our favorite climate communicators. If you haven't heard of the wonderful Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, she is on our advisory board. She is now the chief scientist for the Nature Conservancy. And we would love to promote all that she's up to. If you haven't checked out her work, I've just put a link in the chat where you can go to her website. You, she has a wonderful PBS series that's kid-friendly called Global Weirding. She just wrote an amazing book called Saving Us that we featured as our book study last year. And when she has conversations around climate change, she recommends the following three-part model, right? Because we know that at this point, sharing scary facts about climate change just isn't going to motivate people to take action as much as this approach will. So if our brains are wired in a certain way to associate forward action with reward and not avoiding harm, what works is talking about how climate change affects us here and now in ways that are relevant, like we've already talked about. And her approach is simply three words, bond, connect, inspire. Each of us can do that in our own lives, right? So again, we've already started with that bonding by setting up the first activity, finding common ground. How you have time to start by talking about your family, your community, your background, what do you have in common with your concerns about your health, your job, shared experiences as neighbors, you name it. Then that connect piece is where you wanna show why climate matters. Talk about how climate change is affecting the things everyone cares about. That's already what we did with this first activity, right? That connection about concern of caretaking, that saver story that each of you got into, you know, for instance, discussing how smoke from regional wildfires filled the air across the state and triggered your kids' asthma or the, the children in your neighborhood. This specifically connects that wonderful story of how you're bonded to the terrible impact of how climate change is already showing up in our lives and negatively impacting us. Now, what we're gonna do next is put on that third step, and that is inspiration by demonstrating working solutions. Talk up the real life ways that's supporting climate solutions, like what CCL's policy agenda advocates for, helps people and leads to clean energy that will save us money, waste, and time. Link your stories back to the shared values you found. For example, why does carbon fee and dividend matter to you and your connection? Well, for Dr. Hayhoe, she would say in West Texas, it creates more demand for wind energy to help keep local farmers profitable and resilient and protect their farmland from increasingly severe droughts, as well as bring additional jobs and much needed economic investment to that rural area. You get the picture. So what we're gonna do now is just briefly in the chat, take a moment and why don't you think about a word of inspiration that you might have for that third step in the process that really demonstrates working solutions so that you can too weave that into your climate conversation. We already talked about how to bond with common ground. We already talked about how to connect the dots with climate impacts. Now we're inviting each of you as a prompt to share something inspirational that you feel like is already showing up and working in terms of climate solutions. Feel free to put that in the chat like KK has done here with rooftop solar and know that this completes this module, our second part of today's training. All right, if we say that our vision is to create political will 
we should clarify more precisely what we mean. Think of political will as actions our chapter strategically take to demonstrate to Congress that the will of the people is to have a sustainable climate. So what does that look like? Political will is just really the clear demonstration of support back home. Legislators need to know a specific, a specific actionable step, not simply that we want a sustainable climate or a strong economy. They want to hear what policies we want enacted so that they can add on the people's will. That's precisely what I get in just a moment, but first, a little bit more about why we use the methodology we do. We organize people by congressional districts, which we have found to be more effective way, the most effective way to meet with and demonstrate political will to Congress. And through our years of organizing, we have learned from many others about what creates political will and what doesn't. Here's why this is important. We know you as a volunteer are giving us the, something very precious, which is your time. And we know that you don't have an infinity supply of it, and you could be doing many other things instead. So we only ask you as a CCL volunteer to do the things that we know will have a very good chance to demonstrate the will of the people to Congress. We take actions that we know will be successful, successful in having members of Congress move in the direction of the climate policies we're supporting. So Brad, can you tell us a little bit of what creates political will? I would love to. One of my favorite quotes about this whole concept comes from the ancient Greek philosopher Archimedes when he said, Give me a lever and I can move the world. So let's move the world together with these five levers. We call them the levers of political will, and they are specifically lobbying Congress, media relations, grassroots outreach, grass tops engagement, and chapter and volunteer development. So let's explore each of these briefly. And as we're listening to each of these, two quick things to say. One, Think about which of these you are most drawn to, because we'll be asking for you to share that in the chat at the end. And two, know that we don't expect you to do all of these, to be an effective volunteer. In fact, we hope that you only pick one or two of these. We do not expect you to sit down to this delicious restaurant and eat everything on the menu. Think of these as your favorite dishes, and you get to pick which one is most tantalizing. All right, so with that, there's lobbying. Nothing is more impactful than constituents meeting frequently with their member of Congress or their staff. So we meet with them often in order to build a relationship of trust and show that the legislation and our policy agenda is something their constituents want and to educate them on how our proposals, our climate solutions that we're talking about here in the chat, it's great to see all these, will impact their state or district. So in a chapter, for example, four or five volunteers might aim to meet regularly with their member of Congress and these days, obviously, we do a lot of that not only in person, but on, online with Zoom or some other technology. In between meetings, like Salemi mentioned earlier, a special volunteer called a CCL Congressional Liaison maintains that frequent touch normally about once a month just to check in the office, pass on updates, you know, any articles, relevant information, you name it. Lobbying is the most highly leveraged activity that we do. The second level of political will is media. We work with both print and digital media in order to drive the conversation toward powerful climate solutions like carbon fee and dividend. Our local chapters, media teams coordinate 
coordinate the work with local media, newspaper, TV, radio, and social media. The Bright Letters to the Editors, many people that Bright Letters to the Editors then graduate to do op-eds, CCL volunteers secure editorial page endorsements. When a newspaper endorses a member of Congress that also endorses a bill, it sends a powerful message to that member of Congress. We got your back if you support that bill or this bill. All right, and then there's grassroots outreach. What does that mean? Is that a fancy word for something? Well, essentially, it just means embodying the will of the people and giving voice to those who care about climate change. As we just highlighted with Yale, we know that well over two thirds of Americans are at least somewhat, if not very concerned about climate change. So we engage those individuals and bring their voices to Congress. When CCL volunteers set up tabling events at festivals or events, we get a chance to talk to others about climate change and encourage people to write to their member of Congress right there at the table to engage on an issue that they care about. Some of you may even be here today because of that tabling event. So know that you can engage the general public with online presentations, other forms of organizing, watch parties, events, film screenings, hosting gatherings at your house. Any of these are wonderful opportunities for you to jump in and feel connected. We also here want to put a quick word out to our action teams. So say that you have joined CCL with a wealth of background from a certain area, like I'm seeing here in the chat. Maybe you have a background with academics or you know art or energy, you name it. If there is a sector that you care about and you'd rather do your work as a volunteer with that group rather than as your local chapter, check out our action teams. That's another wonderful way for your expertise to be put into practice for a policy agenda. And they're always looking for new volunteers to jump in and get engaged. Many of them meet monthly and would love to have you join them. All right, our next lever is grassroots engagement. Members of Congress consistently tell us that they need to hear from local respected leaders. Our members of Congress trust these people and turn to them for advice and guidance. Individual voices of local leaders make a disproportionate impact on a member of Congress. That's why we seek their support to encourage our member of Congress to act on climate and to endorse CCL policies like carbon pricing. And last and certainly but not least is chapter and volunteer development. This is really what allows us to do everything else more effectively in terms of both numbers and skills. The more people we have engaged in our local community, the more we can effectively lobby, generate more media, do more outreach. And some ways that you can help here are helping organize the monthly meetings. You know, maybe you're an extrovert, you're a people person, you really like engaging others around you and you wanna plug them in. You can help your chapter with communications, you know, whether that's social media event invites, phone calls, texts, you name it. Plenty of ways for you to make sure to engage others. Maybe you love mentoring and taking in other new volunteers to help support them, learn the ropes and get connected with what your local group's up to. Uh, we also always want to look around in our chapter and say, hey, is this reflective of the larger community that we're in? What are ways that we can do engaged outreach specifically with other areas that may not be as represented with the demographics that our group is currently composed in, whether that's from any of you know, your political backgrounds, race, ethnicity, age, you name it, help diversify your group so that it's fully representative of that larger community that you live in. So with that, let us know what you like. What are you drawn to with these five levers? 
we are actually going to take this as our last activity. And then given that we're at the hour mark, we're gonna take a quick two minute stretch break. In the chat, why don't you share which of those levers stands out the most to you? It's perfectly fine if you can't really make up your mind, but uh, try to pick which one of these you're most drawn to. And then what I encourage you to also do after you type that into the chat is start drafting up an email to your local chapter leader. And as Salemi's highlighted, if you don't know who that is, you can reach out to us and say in this email, hey, I just took the Climate Advocate training today. I'm really excited about media work and I'd love to get plugged into the team doing that or however you wanna frame it. This is gonna be the prompt that we are engaged in. And the reason why is because we know that this is a key way for you to immediately find a way to have your time and talents plugged in. And before you do that, there's another reason actually why we have five levers. So let me, do you want to remind us of that? Sure. So another thing about working with five levers is that if one lever is stuck, we can actually pull harder on some of the, on some of the other levers. For example, you have me with your member of Congress several times, and they agree that the energy innovation ad or carbon fee and dividend is the best proposal. However, they will not support this proposal until there is support from prior Medi-Borders or businesses in the district. In this example, to demonstrate support, to demonstrate the support that the member of Congress needs, it makes sense to ramp up outreach to businesses, which is grass engagement or community leaders, and also to grow your group, your group, your group so you can have a bigger uh, vocal base of support. What we're trying to do here is not easy, but citizens who are passionate, well-trained, organized by congressional district, and who have a good system of support can more than influence the political process. We are committed to build ongoing positive relationship with our community and with members of Congress in order to create the political space that allows this member of Congress to move in the direction we want. Well put. So we're going to put these questions in on the screen, also in chat, with a link to the volunteer resource inventory. And basically, you are welcome to take a break. We're right at the hour mark. Let's just say that we'll restart again here um, in four minutes. And we just have two modules left before we jump into our mock lobby meeting when you get back. Um, and if you don't want to take a break, maybe you don't need to, you know, get another cup of coffee, or whatever, start drafting up that email to your group leader and you can use some of these questions to prompt you to respond to your group leader. And this is really putting it all together, right? So we talked about each of these levers is conceptually. What do they actually look like when put into action? We have a grounded case study here as told by our senior development director, Lene Pettengill, about how all of our CCL Utah volunteers really made magic happen using the five levers. So I'll let Lene take it from here. I'm gonna share one quick story to illustrate the power of our volunteers. This is Piper Christian. After attending a CCL conference as a high school freshman, she founded a climate club at her school. She and her classmates audaciously decided to pass a pro-climate resolution through the Utah State Legislature. They found a Republican to introduce the resolution, but it wasn't granted a hearing. So, not to be deterred, Piper and friends organized a youth-led mock hearing where 100 students from across the state testified. But the resolution still didn't pass that year. 
So Piper, along with CCL's statewide network, leapt into action. Over the next year, constituents lobbied and called every single state legislator. They also organized a youth lobby day. They got the resolution endorsed by 12 major Utah businesses. They led the Utah Earth Day parade, and they got their stories in the papers. These efforts paid off. The resolution actually passed in 2019, but it didn't stop there. The resolution inspired 18 Utah cities to pledge going carbon neutral. The state passed five more climate bills and created a climate roadmap in 2020. And these relationships just led a group of 25 prominent Republicans in the state to publish an op-ed in the Deseret News calling for a price on carbon. Also, prominent Utah members of Congress, such as Senator Mitt Romney and Representative John Curtis, have begun advocating for national climate solutions as well. Representative Curtis went so far as to found the Conservative Climate Caucus in the House, which now has 60 Republican members. These are the kind of relationships that CCL volunteers are building with their communities and their members of Congress. And I'm happy to share that Piper now serves on the CCL Board of Directors. Thank you, Lene. That is exactly the heart of who we are, right? I think that really is a wonderful story to not only highlight how we are actually putting the five levers to work, but the methodology by which we're bridge builders, right? We as CCL volunteers have helped connect the dots across the aisle in Congress from the early days with the Republican Climate Resolution and the House and the Senate Climate Caucus to the Historic Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act and so forth, like Lene and many others have highlighted throughout this weekend at the conference. And what I would like to remind us today here in our training is that as an organization, Citizens Climate Lobby offers every one of us, somebody you know who may just have found out about climate change and is just now beginning to worry or has been active and concerned for decades, the opportunity to make an impact far beyond our own personal lifestyle choices, which matter, but collectively, how can we flex that larger group organizing muscle? And our education and training turns each of us as ordinary constituents into highly effective volunteer lobbyists, organizers, and communicators who can get meaningful climate legislation passed. So what is that climate legislation that's meaningful? For today, we are going to briefly touch on our policy agenda, and that is because for our December lobby days, our primary asks actually are a little bit separate from this. I'll highlight how they are grounded within each of these areas. But since we just rolled this out at the conference yesterday, um, know that I'm happy to field questions, so is your mentor. Um, but obviously, I'm also going to jump right into the primary asks, which are specific pieces of legislation after this quick review. We organize and work on policies that are effective in reducing net emissions and that build bridges in Congress and our communities. And we have these following four main agenda areas. Carbon pricing. CCL has been advocating for carbon fee and dividend style policies for over a decade with that border carbon adjustment, which is absolutely essential if you attended that breakout yesterday, to help lower emissions and reduce the fact that air pollution and all of these other negative impacts are happening to everyday Americans while delivering abundant and affordable clean energy. Healthy forests. We also support preserving and expanding forests and climate smart forestry and advocate for increasing urban forests with a special focus on neighborhoods that are negatively impacted by a lack of tree equity. Building electrification and efficiency. 
We're focused on educating our general communities and elected officials on the importance of electrification and efficiency, especially with all the provisions now available and unlocked by the Inflation Reduction Act, and how we can accelerate that to clean energy buildings with attention to especially supporting low and middle income households in that shared transition. And then lastly, we're also focused on clean energy permitting. We wanna to work to increase America's capacity to transmit clean energy and speed up the approval of clean energy projects while preserving communities' ability to give input. So those are our four key areas of our policy agenda. How are they showing up specifically within our primary asks as we head onto our lobby days this December? Well, I've got a couple of helpful charts and we're gonna divide this up by the Senate and the House. So pay particular attention today if you have a member that is in the Senate or the House that you're preparing to lobby. For the Senate, what we're gonna do, regardless of whether you're lobbying a Democrat or a Republican, is focus on the importance of the RISE Act or the NCARS Act. And for the sake of today, we're gonna to specifically focus on one of these bills called NCARS. For Democrats, you can start by thanking them for their historic passage of the Inflation Reduction Act you can remind them that as CCLers, we know that a carbon price is still necessary to help meet that 50% reductions target. But for today, in this lame duck period in Congress, what we want them to do is finish strong with passing the end cars, because that co-sponsorship is going to build momentum for this end of year package. Carbon pricing isn't going to be included with a lame duck package that still has to pass, but these, co uh, these bills to co-sponsor will. And for Republican senators, you can say that same framing minus the Inflation Reduction Act, given that no Republican senator voted for it. Instead, you can really focus and frame on the importance of making America resilient and highlighting that key thing of resiliency. So when we say resiliency, what does that look like? And what is the ask that we're really talking about here? If you want to follow along with me, I have put in the chat here in just a moment a link to our supporting asks. And one of uh, there's a one-page handout for each of these two bills that we're going to be talking about. So click that link if you haven't already, and you can find the download to the NCARS one-pager. Um, and I'll just give a quick review of this as well. And if you have questions as you're listening to our legislative discussion, feel free to write those down and know that in your small group time, in just about 20 minutes, you'll have ample time to check in with your uh, CCL mentor about these questions too. So the strategic significance of NCARS is simply that we want to demonstrate that both parties in Congress can support national climate policies. So this bill that's likely to get attached to the larger omnibus that will get folded into the end of year passage gets members of Congress on the record supporting a whole of government solution to climate change, right? And what does it do? Well, it does a few things well. And this one pager featured again goes into more details with each of these elements. <laughs> Excuse me. So number one, it creates a unified federal approach to climate change. So it makes sure to have all of these separate efforts that agencies throughout the federal government have already been doing to try to think through adaptation and resilient efforts, whether it's FEMA, or whether it's other departments like the Department of Energy or Commerce, getting them coordinated through a central part to have efficiency and reduce redundancies 
is key because right now we don't want to have government agencies kind of operating independently uh, without that oversight of what it ultimately would appoint, which is an actual chief resilience officer and an actual whole of government national climate adaptation plan. Okay, it also would help do another thing, which is basically check out and see where each of these teams have already been working throughout their agencies and make that into that larger plan to have kind of the funding and that line of sight across each of the agencies to invest in a larger effort to produce, I'm not sure if the timeline is three or four or five years, but a whole of government national climate adaptation and resilience strategy and implementation plan, something that our federal government, believe it or not, has never done yet. So that's a key bill that we would love to have pass the Senate and the House, but in the Senate right now is where we really need the most support for it to be included in our end of year lobbying. On the other side of the aisle, or on the other side of Congress rather, for both aisle sides, House Democrats and Republicans, we're going to engage in a separate ask, and that is the Growing Climate Solutions Act. For the Democrat House members, you can again thank them for the Inflation Reduction Act, remind them that we are still a big fan of carbon pricing, but for now in the lame duck period, we're not gonna be focused on asking them to pass that. And for Republicans, we wanna focus on the importance that this policy can help with American farmers. So with that, what is the Growing Climate Solutions Act, you might ask? Well, again, that one pager that I'm featuring here is available on that supporting asks link. The key thing to know in the Senate is that it's already passed and it did so with historic margins. How many bills do you see today passing by a 92 to eight threshold? So this has huge bipartisan potential, right? We know that it's a remarkable show of bipartisan support for a bill that actually has climate solutions right in the title of it, right? So how can we get it through the House? Well, CCO's role was really key in instrumentally getting it introduced and then reintroduced last session and this session. And the strategic significance behind it is that we want to make sure that farmers are on side with climate change solutions. We don't want them to feel like this is something that is against their best interests. So it establishes basically a essential assistance provider program as well as a unified third party verifier program that will help the USDA provide transparency and legitimacy to these different organizations that are already trying to give credits for sequestered carbon in agricultural soil, as well as in forests to small, medium, mid-sized, large farmers and landowners with forests, right? So it provides access to these barrier, uh, to what has often been barriers for getting that third-party verification for carbon sequestration credits. And it also does a whole host of other things within the USDA and Secretary of Agriculture to have an advisory council to help figure out how you can make those certification programs even more effective. It reduces the lo uh, lowers the barriers for entry into that market, especially for farmers that haven't really been able to access it or haven't had the time or technical expertise, they finally are now encouraged to try that out. So that's the other ask that we have within the um, legislative session for the um, uh, December asks. So final thoughts on this. And again, if you have questions, feel free. You're welcome to put them in the chat. I can get to those when Salami is presenting or you can get to those with your um, small groups in just a moment. 
But the key thing is that we want more climate wins set up to have the foundation for the next Congress even have that success, right? Smaller bipartisan victories make bigger victories like a carbon price easier down the road. And it builds that bipartisan engagement on climate change, which is, I think, really important, especially after the more partisan process um, that happened with the Inflation Reduction Act passage. And we also know this, right? Elections matter. We had a successful midterm election where climate candidates on both sides of the aisle survived any primary challengers. They're back in Congress. This has obviously been the biggest Congress for climate action in US history. And we can even have the chance to make it stronger. CCL is gonna redouble and focus on the next Congress with making sure that strong carbon price policies are a priority. And for now, we wanna lock in bipartisan wins while we still have the chance for the lame duck. So with that overview, feel free to put any questions you have in the chat or write down for your small groups. And speaking of small groups, I'm gonna pass it to Salemi to get us going for preparing for your lobby meeting, since that is really the next thing that we're gonna do after this module of getting you all set for what an actual lobby meeting looks like. All right, so CCL is okay. <laughs> Um, so let's transition for preparing for our lobby meetings. And I want to give a shout out to everybody too, before I get into this, we have, um, eight new co-sponsors for the right ad. So I want to give a shout out to all our citizens lobbyists nationwide, because getting a co-sponsor since December 1st, that's great. <laughs> so it means that what we do, it works and it works well. So. We explored our values and yours. We have talked about our five levers of political will and how we use them across chapters. We have talked about CCL, but how do we inspire Congress to lead? And how do we get people to join, to, to join and help us find, uh, help Congress find its way forward? How do we have this difficult conversation? We in CCL uh, learn to deep listen using a tool called reflective listening or motivational interviewing. The basic sequence runs something like this. We first find other, the other person interest. We reflect back and confirm what we think we heard them say. We identify and confirm their values. We find common ground with those values. And we ask permission to express our thoughts related to those values. Before we move in details on values-based listening, let's consider what it looks like when someone doesn't feel heard. When I think someone is not hearing me, then I repeat myself over and over again, hoping repetition might help sink it, might help sink it in. Sometimes I catch myself getting louder and louder as if shouting will help me, will help you hear me. Or I get quiet and say nothing. After all, what should I try if the other person don't wanna hear me? I might turn to my cell phone or even walk away. If we want to have our turn to talk to someone ready to listen to us, we can start by deeply listening to them first. Let's try it ourselves through the deep listening step. Let's try this ourselves through the deep listening step. To do this, let's take a question that we might get from our members of Congress or their staff 
and I will walk us through how each of these steps might look like while play, Brett, you're gonna play the role of member of Congress. So go ahead, Brett. All right, that sounds great, Salemi. I'll just start by asking you this question. What about underserved communities? Aren't they gonna be negatively impacted by a policy like this? And obviously they're already suffering from recovering from COVID. Great question. Thank you for bringing that up. We have found their interest and let's reflect back and confirm what we think we heard them say. They asked about underserved communities already suffering from COVID and expressed worry that any climate policy will harm those communities. Using your own words, um, tell them or imagine that you're telling them what you heard them say and ask them to confirm if you're correct or not. You could say, if I am hearing you correctly, economic justice is essential priority to you. Is that right, Brad? Yes, it is. Thank you for identifying it. So now we identify their values and confirm those. So in our next step, we're gonna find common ground. Tell them that you share or respect their values. You could simply say, I also care about economic justice. In our final step, we ask permission before we share our own thinking or our knowledge. Building on the previous step, I also value economic justice. I was pleased to discover that the co-sponsors actually addressed that issue with the mechanism of the Energy Innovation Act. May I share how the bill creates economic justice? And even though no two meetings are the same, the basic follow the same general guidelines we review here. After today, in the real world, prior to your meeting, you wanna do your research on your member of Congress and the district, learn what they really proud, what they like and why they have accomplished, learn what really annoys them so you don't bring that in the meetings, research local impacts of climate change in your community, learn how carbon fee and dividend will impact their district or state or the policies we are supporting, review previous meeting minutes, determine ahead who's gonna be responsible for the following roles. We have a leader, we have a timekeeper, we have a note taker, we have the person who makes the ass and the person who leaves behind the materials. Okay, so meeting roles, depending on the size of your lobby meeting, an individual may fill multiple roles. Everybody is encouraged to participate in the discussion, but keep in mind that the most important people in the meeting will be the constituents and trusted messengers. Uh, we have the appreciator. Doesn't it feel nice when you meet someone and they say something nice about you? So how does that change the way you listen? That's the appreciator role. You have the time monitor, which keeps the meeting on time, monitors percentage of CCL and member of Congress talk with a target of 50-50, tallies number of open-ending questions our team asks for the meeting minutes. We have the note taker. Um, if it's possible, you wanna take some, you wanna have somebody that, ha that, that is an experienced volunteer this person should be able to follow the thread of the conversation, especially capturing what is said by the member of Congress or the staffer. We have the person who does the ask. 
if possible, you want to have somebody who has a strong grasp of our policy and its wider implications or ripple effects, especially within their community. Uh, we sometimes leave one page behind with our primary ask. Then we have the deliver, is the team member responsible for bringing constituents correspondence in the past. Uh, we used to take uh, constituent letters to our members or bring community meetings, community leaders to the meetings. With the pandemic, you know, now we do those constituent letters um, with a would say verbally or we send in advance, uh, we send materials in advance or afterwards as a follow-up. When you have the person that does the follow-up, um, this person uh, follow-ups with the materials that the member of Congress might need after the meeting and we do thank you card. If the person doing the follow-up is not the liaison, he or she will wanna coordinate with the liaison soon after the meeting. And if your meeting is via Zoom, uh, you can, we need a, usually we recommend to have a tech support who can mute and for security reasons. And most important, we have the team meeting leader. An analogy that we can use here is that of the conductor. The CCL team leader is there to manage the meeting, not to dominate the meeting. The leader is not necessarily the one who talks the most, but who empowers everyone to share, participate, and especially the constituents. During the discussion, ask open-ended questions and keep focus on opportunities to affirm shared values um, and ask clarification and, uh, and ask clarification questions. I'm hearing you right. Um, the leader may choose to be in charge of handling the transition between different parts of the meeting. They help keeping the conversation on track and help wrap things up. The leader also will help the team settle on an appropriate supporting ask for the meeting and make sure that everybody's on the same page. So let's circle back to the meeting roles. Um, are we gonna do the poll? I think for now, let's just have people in the chat share what they are most drawn to. I'll put a link in the, um, I'll put that slide back up here so that you can see and feel free in the chat just to share what role or roles are you most interested in now that you've kind of heard, so let me describe them from the leader all the way through these, just type in the chat which ones you're most drawn to. And then so let me do a quick little review of um, that kind of general flow of the meeting um, before we jump into our small groups. And remember that you can choose more than one uh, role too. So small groups, you probably will have enough today where people actually take on more than one role. Looks like we'll be averaging around four or so people per team with your mentor, which is great. Awesome. So, so we meet in teams of four to six CCL members. We think of lobby as a team sport. And we start by thanking the member of Congress or the staffer for meeting with us. The timekeeper asks how much time do we have for this meeting? We introduce ourselves briefly. If the meeting is with the staffer, then we wanna tell the staffer to tell us a little bit more about himself or herself. Uh, we show appreciation for something they have done recently that it doesn't have to be necessarily related uh, with, um, 
with climate. It can be any good policies that ha they have put forward lately. We explain our purpose to create the political will for a livable world. And briefly state our request to support or introduce climate legislation that puts America on track to reach our goal of 50% reduction in the next 10 years. Then we mentioned that we have more to say about that, but first we would like to hear their, their concerns. Uh, we listen, they listen in the discussion part. Here are the possible questions you can, you can ask to further the discussion, but be flexible based on your relationship with the member of Congress or their office. For instance, rather than we add to their answer, it's more important to help them feel heard. You might ask, what might be preventing the representative for supporting our legislation? Who in our district will we need to convince about the merits of our proposal to win your support? For example, Chambers of Commerce is a great example that most members of Congress in that case. What's your preferred plan to lower emissions? And let them talk. Having done your research, you will probably anticipate what the response might be. And finally, um, we deliver our ask. If there's, if there's an ND indication that they're not ready to introduce or support our policy, then introduce a secondary request as a building block, like some of the legislations Fred went over uh, earlier. Offer additional materials as if they will like them a hard copy or electronic copy, as how and when to follow up, as who they work with in the other side of the aisle. And thank them, thank them for their time. And that's an overview of how we cannot conduct a lobby meeting with a congressional office. Excellent. Thank you, Salemi. Well, while I'm getting breakout rooms set up, since we are perfectly right at time, do you want to kind of walk through our plans? I've actually updated the uh, timestamps here even so that people can see um, now that we know that we actually even have a little bit more time for a Q&A, uh, what each of these four sections are. We like to think of them as kind of four 10-minute movements, and we've given you even a bit more time for that Q&A first part. To go over? Yeah, yes, of course. Let me thank you. All right. So the next 45 minutes uh, from 2.35, uh, we're going to take 15 minutes uh, to with your mentor and your group to introduce yourself, and you can ask questions about CCL, carbon fee and dividend, reconciliations, or any policy questions that you might have, that, that you might have. Uh, then at 2.50, uh, we're gonna prepare for our lobby meetings, and this is gonna be 10 minutes. Uh, you're gonna be with your mentor, uh, who share, uh, who, they, who they share, who they were gonna represent. You're, uh, you can tell your members of Congress, your, your members of Congress, members of Congress, what kind of uh, member of Congress you want them to be. Uh, decide on the roles and your meeting meetings uh, and the team meetings plan. So uh, decide if you wanna be the appreciator, the note taker, the person who does the ask. Uh, at 3 p.m., uh, we're gonna, Easter time, we're gonna hold your meeting for 10 minutes. This is not usually the time that we do that. Usually members of Congress give us minimal 35, 30 minutes, but if you can do it in 10, you're our champion. 
make sure that everybody has a role and everybody participates and everybody introduce themselves. Um, at 3.10, uh, we're gonna do a quick debrief uh, for 10 minutes uh, with the group. And let's talk about the takeaways, what did you learn or what will you do different next time? And I remember a very important thing, even if you don't know the policy specifically, or um, you never lobby your elected official, the most important thing that you take to your meeting is how climate change is affecting you personally. And that is your climate story. So, uh, and they're your representatives and it's their duty to represent us and do what is best for their constituents. So keep that in mind. Excellent. Well, right. I think at this point, we should be all set. Um, if you have any questions, make sure that when you get to your breakout rooms, you know those first 15 minutes are all about just engaging in your small group of three to four people with your mentor about what we've reviewed today. And you wish you had had a bit more time to explore. I know we've had a couple of those questions in the chat. And uh, I'll be sending a little reminder every 10 minutes or so to continue going on to that next section just as a little reminder prompt that you can have access to in the chat though, here it is for each of you. Um, you'll be able to have this as a reminder in your discussion. And uh, at this point, uh, yes, for all of our mentors, um, we should have access for you uh, to be able to share your screen specifically as mentors. And for anyone else, you are able to unmute when you get to your breakout. So thank you all so much and we'll see you back here in 45. All right, so welcome back everyone. Let's suggest a little bit this workshop. So think about what touched you, what spoke to you, and what made us look at something in a different way. What did you hear with fresh ear? So um, I don't know, Brett, do we wanna have people on mute and share a little bit about their experience? Yeah, let's just go with at least one or two people. Who has anything they'd like to share? Feel free to click that unmute button. Kate. Yeah, go for it, Kate. Oh, sorry, we un uh, I tried to unmute you and you did it yourself. Go for it. Okay, sorry. Um, hi, I'm Kate. And so we, in our Zoom call, we talked a lot about how finding personal anecdotes and little tiny tidbits that people, or specifically the Congress people that we're gonna be talking to, how they kind of mentioned, like, for example, our um, mock model Congress person, he talked about how he had a kindergartner teacher um, as a daughter. And so we kind of talked a lot about education and how education from the ground level up is really important and just kind of finding little small tidbits that people really value and then just kind of mentioning them when you speak is a great way to just kind of channel into why you support whatever you support or why you um, want to pass the acts and get their support. So stuff like that. Brilliant. We love to hear that. Thank you so much for sharing, Kate. Jennifer. Uh, I would just say, um, you know, we kind of, we, we jumped into it and, you know, it was uh, someone, the mock uh, senator was someone I was totally unfamiliar with. And I, I really, it, it, it impressed upon me the, the fact that preparation and knowing, you know, who you're speaking to before you go in and, you know, having specific asks and, and a specific kind of uh, starting point is, is, incredibly important because we were just, you know, obviously it was a practice and we're trying to do it on the fly, but um, really doing your homework before you get there and being prepared is, is going to be key. 
Thank you so much for sharing. And I know 10 minutes for a meeting, a lobby meeting is not what, what the real work looks like. So thank you for working with that time. Um, Alan. Yeah, hi, thank you. Um, so I think the, probably the most important thing that we discussed in our meeting was that the purpose of the meeting is to develop relationships and not to be confrontational uh, with with whoever it is you're meeting with. So, you know, rather than, you know, making sure that they hear your point of view, that you understand their point of view and make sure that they're heard and, um, you know, that you value what they have or what, you know, what their point of view is. Thank you, Alan. It's all about relationships. <clears throat> Rehab? I got your name right, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, hello everyone, I'm Rehaf. Uh, I would love to share what my group actually discussed. I actually thanks Lisa for breaking every kind of, uh, breaking uh, every uh, role here, every, trying to uh, share her knowledge. Uh, she's really amazing. My team, me, uh, Lisa, uh, uh, Robert and uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah, we talked about uh, the primary act, uh, questions. We talk about uh, the roles and how I, how can I uh, know my my um, my member team? Knowing my member team, we could like conduct a really great meeting. Also. Uh, knowing the person that we're gonna meet, studying him, uh, know what's his achievement, know uh, knows uh, the background of him, so we can tackle the problem, or at least we can um, uh, 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 pass our issue to them. Uh, thank you so much. It was a great and uh, a great experience. I learned a lot from it. Uh, it was harder than I thought. Actually, it's uh, it's really great. Um, definitely uh, gonna attend another uh, uh, go in depth and learn more. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, Riva. We hope to see you in one real lobby meeting next time. We have plenty of opportunities. We can lobby in district, we lobby in June and fall, you name it, but we would love to have you. Peter. I was just gonna add that uh, although we, we definitely, uh, have have a lot to to uh, put into the the definition of the roles and playing our role, but uh, sometimes the uh, it's necessary to rely on your your teammates to pick up when there's a, a you know an awkward silence or we don't know the answer. Uh, it's okay to fill in in other roles if you if you have a role and you're in a situation where you don't know, ask your teammates and um, if you sense your your teammate is struggling in their role you know, chime in. So that was kind of my takeaway. Thank you so much, Pierin, for sharing. And look at my smile, it's growing with each of your sharing experience because it's great to hear that we're not alone doing this work and we can keep push forward and we never give up. And thank you for being part of our uh, training today, Brad. Yeah, absolutely. So you might be asking what's next well, we want to recommend two steps here with our final two minutes. One is, you've heard it before, you'll hear it again today, connect with your local group. So Lemmy has already given her contact. Mine is simply brett at citizensclimate.org. I'll have that on the end slide. If you need help finding who your chapter is, please feel free to reach out. 
and let them know, hey, I took this climate advocate training today, this crazy workshop. I'm really excited about grassroots outreach and a little bit more about your background and you can get plugged in. And if you are more interested, like we talked about earlier and jumping into an action team instead, that's just as fine as your local group. If you're more motivated to jump into something that you already have a wealth of background in on the national level, whatever suits your fancy. And the way to do that is through CCL community, we have a whole host of resources, trainings, forums, and places that you can explore and get connected with the larger CCL network. It's just community.citizensclimate.org. One thing that I always love promoting for those on the Climate Advocate Training is our Tuesday night series called Core Volunteer Training. It takes place at 8 p.m. Eastern every Tuesday night. You don't have to jump into all of them. You can just go to that page and I'll put it in the chat and find anyone that is most interesting to you. If you'd like practical skills on how to set up your lobby profile or your social media profile or how to write a letter to the editor, you name it, we rotate through 12 core lessons every quarter and we do the same ones once every three months so that you can know the core volunteer trainings to help you get up to speed and be an effective CCL volunteer. So with that, we have reached the end of our workshop. We are so grateful again for all of your time. As Salemi has already highlighted, we would love to follow up with anything that you have questions about, give us feedback on, or let us know what we can continue to do to support your advocacy. So I've put a link where you can find our slides, where you can contact us, and where you can ask questions in the forums. And with that, thank you all so much for doing what you do to help build this climate movement together. We're going to close with a video and have a wonderful rest of your day, everyone. Thanks again to all of our mentors who stayed on too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.